team, listen up. Some of you might have heard that my mother's back on the ship. Now we all know the score. Please don't fall for one of her deceptions. Uh, wait, what deceptions? Mother is the queen of Hysperia, my home world. When I joined Starfleet, I abdicated my birthright as prince. Hysperia. Oh, that's the planet with the dragons that got colonized by all those Renfair types. Did you grow up in a castle? Yes, but a life of mythical adventure can't compare to working on the old impulse engine, which is exactly why my mom is always trying to trick me into having sex. Uh, sorry, what now? By Hysperian law, if I lose my virginity, then I automatically become king. I'd have to resign from Starfleet and take the throne. Welcome to Strange New Takes. I'm your host, Notch Karnick, and with me wearing Star Trek outfits at the Ren Fair are... Emily Bowen-Marler. And Adam Bowen. Welcome to Strange New Takes, where we're reviewing episodes in this strange new era of Star Trek. Today, we are covering the seventh episode of season two of Lower Decks, Where Pleasant Fountains Lie. Make sure to follow us on social media at Strange New Takes on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter... Uh, we are not yet on the seven other ones that uh, Gen Z has discovered yet, but someday we will we'll, we'll be there uh, doing all those fun dances or whatever. So uh, also make sure to tell your friends in the real world about the podcast and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts because that is how people will be able to find us. And there are spoilers when people talk about episodes of Star Trek. So if you haven't watched Where Pleasant Fountains Lie... Uh, maybe go do that before listening to this episode yeah, if you want to. Also, just general spoiler warning. We tend to be very free with spoiling the rest of Star Trek, other sci-fi, movies we've watched and such. So if you're not in for that, I apologize. But it kind of happens. So you're, you're in for the ride if you stick around. All right. Well, again, to recap, we're talking about where pleasant fountains lie. As Emily shared earlier, it's the seventh season, or it's the seventh episode of the second <laughs> season of Star Trek, Lower Decks. It first aired on 23rd September 2021. Uh, it was directed by Jason Zurek. The story is by Garrick Bernard. Uh, one of my favorite characters on TV was a guy named Bernard Woolley on a show called Yes Minister. It's a BBC uh, comedy from the uh, late 80s. Good stuff. Anyway. Uh, that down to Quita aside, we usually start our episodes with our strange new takes. Who's got a strange new take for me, crew? Well, uh, earlier today, I didn't have a strange new take. And let me turn off my fan so that it's not buzzing in the background forever. Uh, but anyhow, the uh, the strange new take that I have, was gifted to me just an hour ago was someone's dad just approached me in the parking lot of a grocery store. And he said want to hear a terrible joke and i felt slightly bizarre and awkward because this was a person just like talking to me uh when i was not expecting to talk to any human beings uh and so i said yes he said a paper and so i sort of in indicated that he should probably keep telling the joke and he said it's terrible <laughs> so there you go <sighs> Uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to have everyone else have that fa same feeling as me. So, <laughs> yeah. So uh, the, the other strange new take that I have is that 
Last week, I complained about the lack of a skip button in Paramount Plus on uh, Fire TV. I don't know about the other devices. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that the engineers at uh, Paramount Plus must listen to our podcast because it is suddenly there. Uh, so you're welcome, everybody. And thank you so much for putting that darn uh, skip button in there. I don't have to, like, accidentally skip 10 minutes into the episode when I'm just trying to skip the credits now. So thank you very much. Well, I didn't really have a strange new take, but now I'm going to share a joke that I saw today that I sent to my husband oh my because gosh. it made me smile. <laughs> my partner asked me if I could stop singing Wonderwall. I said, maybe. <laughs> that, that, that joke actually gets made a lot here in Minnesota because our local soccer team uses Wonderwall <laughs> as it's like winning anthem. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so that, that's like... I All also right. had to share it because we had that song in our wedding. <laughs> anyway. But we didn't have Oasis singing it. We had a recording of Ryan Adams singing it. It's a really cool oh. cover. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, there's my strange new take. Now you all know a song that was in our wedding. And I'm very particular about which version of things I want used. Even though the Oasis version is cool. My son really likes it. He asks to listen to Wonderwall. My son also asks to listen to, it's like Ray Yane. That's what he calls it. Um, and so he <laughs> sings along to Isn't It Ironic? And it's pretty awesome. So, um, and he also really likes um, Last Friday Night by Katy Perry. Um, which nice. is not appropriate for a three-year-old to sing. So I think he said one time, um, Daddy, what's stranger on my lawn? <laughs> I think there's a stranger. Or is there, oh, no, well, there's something on the lawn. Something I can't remember. There's a stranger in my bed. But there's also something about something happening on the lawn. And Dietrich started asking questions about different parts of the song. And Travis is like, maybe we should not listen to this song anymore. <laughs> so my husband, my husband's taste in music, y'all. Um, so I am going to share a strange new take about the show. You know, I didn't see the skip credits, but. So unless it was hiding in the lower left-hand corner behind a picture frame that happens to be in front of my... I believe it was in the lower right, so... Uh, oh. Yeah. It's, so it may, maybe it different devices. Just, maybe it was just you. They're, they're, they they're just play, knew you had the complaint, and so yeah. they're doing the beta on you anyway. <laughs> I'm happy but, to be um, in the beta. It's a, war, it's a glor glorious, <laughs> like, wonderful place to be. I love yeah. skipping those credits. Yeah. But no, my, my strange new take for the episode is I, I don't know that I've really noticed nipples on armor before. So that was a new thing for me. Oh, have you never watched Batman? <laughs> but they don't, they don't like, they're not in like a different color <laughs> than the rest of the armor, I feel. <laughs> like I feel when I've seen nipples on armor, it's been like all part of the same color. But no, these are, these are very prominent on the armor here. So. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. They, they definitely went for the Renfair tropes. Um, I'll, you know what? I'll make my, my I'll make my strange new take about a Renfair performer that I talked to. He's a close friend of mine named Ansel. He's got a um, podcast of his own called Shantytown Showtime, uh, which you can Shanty Time Show Tunes, I think actually, which you can check out if you so wish. But uh, he told me once about how when he worked at the Bristol Renfair in Wisconsin, which I believe is the largest Renfair in the country, by the way. Uh, he told me about how they would have Star Trek fans walk in in full costume with their phasers and their tricorders. 
and just pretend to be on an away mission <laughs> or in the holodeck. That's amazing. Except one group apparently were total dicks, like oh. complete assholes, which, hello, why are you a Star Trek fan if that's the way you are? Yeah. We don't Please let stop. those in. But uh, anyway, Ansel said that some people like apparently like confronted them and were like, you're being nasty. Please don't be like this. And they were like, computer, delete program. And ignored that that person existed from that point forward and had to be ki- they had to be kicked out because of that kind of behavior. <laughs> I'm going to kick those people out of the fandom, too. I don't like that. I, 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 thought, I, I will uh, give them the small mo- small thing of like, that is a very good comeback if you're a <laughs> <laughs> Star Trek cosplayer. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow, I should use that like in real life sometimes. Just try that with my boss and see how it goes. Um, anyway, well, with this episode, do you know what this does for table Star Trek tabletop RPGs? When we go to Hesperia... I'm going to pull out the D&D rulebook and introduce everybody becomes a D&D character and we play a D&D sub game within Star Trek. Okay? There we go. Uh, yeah, That's and the, what I Hesperia mean, the, does. Yeah. I, I mean, like, the, actually, the, the holodeck uh, opens up a lot of possibilities, too. So it's, yeah, that's, that's an awesome idea. This is a great episode for lore. Uh, I, I freaking love it. Anyway, <laughs> with that, let us jump straight into discussing... Uh, where pleasant fountains lie. And the first question I have... Well, let me read the episode summary before I get to my first question. Episode summary from Memory Alpha. Mariner and Boimler are stranded on an uninhabited planet with a sentient computer. On the Cerritos, Lieutenant Commander Billups must prove his engineering skills to an old adversary. I like that. Very ambiguous. Mm-hmm. But the first question I had is, can someone explain the title of this episode to me? I don't. I was trying to yeah. figure out what it was. Like, is there a? I, I maybe there's a fountain in like that that room where there's the uh, the big staircase when they first go in. But it, like, mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to. I was trying I have, to think. I have like, no visual memory of like a fountain or. <laughs> yeah, well, I was trying to think like what other like it made me think of the title of the movie "What Dreams May Come," but that's not. I don't think that's what they're referencing. Do you know? I just was trying. I I couldn't figure out what it was referencing. So, Antithesis on Reddit has been posting a canon references thread. I we'd been, we used to actually reference it quite a lot when we did the first season of Lower Decks. We haven't been doing that sort of thing yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I actually just Googled this, and it took me to the thread. And lo and behold, the first bullet point is regarding the title. The episode's title is from Shakespeare's poem, Venus and Adonis. The latest in a long tradition of lifting titles from the bard, examining the context within the poem in which Venus begs Adonis, gaze upon my lips, and if those hills be dry, stray lower where the pleasant fountains lie. We discover... Yeah, okay. Anyway. Uh, (laughs) The the next statement is we discover that we technically should not be allowing our children to even be aware that this episode exists. So yeah, uh, you know, um, there you go. Uh, That's what the title is from. I promise you, dear listener, I did not know this. I, I just read this out. I hadn't actually read it fully before I read it out to you. So maybe that from next time onwards, I should try to answer these questions before we come on air. Uh, Do we need to put a content warning or like... <laughs> I, I actually put an explicit content warning on every episode just because I can't be trusted not to swear on these things. Um, yeah, I am the only non-swearer unless I get... Unless I'm defending Captain Cisco. <laughs> <Then> I swear. <laughs> 
As you should. As you I should. guess he was a commander when I was defending him, but still. <laughs> <laughs> this was... I, I feel like this was one of those episodes where it is so deceptively short. I They pack so much into this one, and I didn't want it to end. But at the same time, when it ended, it was like the perfect length. It just... It felt right. But it didn't yeah. feel like they were pulling, like, it didn't feel like they were cramming as many storylines into it as they had in the other ones. I mean, there was a lot of stuff happening in the episode, but it wasn't like, like last week, there were like four storylines that were happening or four, you know, four different plot lines. And it didn't feel that way in this episode. It felt like there were two distinct plot lines or, or you know, two things that we were following. And there may have been little strands off of the main one, but they were all still part of, they were very much part of that. Yeah, it's story. directly related to either plot A or plot B, and mm-hmm. yeah, with without uh, much like extras stuff in there. Yeah, and I I enjoyed the jumping back and forth. I felt like both plots were also complete storylines. There wasn't anything kind of missing, or mm-hmm. it, it was very neat. It was a very tight episode. Mm-hmm. I felt I. I, I, I the, the one thing that I'll say that I, I that felt slightly out of place for me is there's that uh, there's the moment where I don't know I, a tr- oh Agamus uh, the evil computer uh, was uh, it like downloads itself into a pad and then that's never referenced ever again which I mean maybe they're just leaving that around so that it can be come up in like a future episode or something but it, it seemed like a just a throwaway thing to me that no uh, what what it did was it pulled all the information off from the pad onto itself. That's how it was able to show Mariner talking to Ransom. Uh, okay. Okay, that, so that that's... was the purpose of what it was doing. Okay, I just misunderstood yeah. then. Because that's why it says, like, download complete or whatever. Right yeah, afterwards. I was assuming it had downloaded itself into it, which I guess maybe would be upload complete. I don't know. Right? Um, well, let's 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 take it from the top, which is uh, the, the fact that Agamus exists. You know, yet another planet driven to war by a sentient computer. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've said it before. I love when this episode references and parodies or satirizes TOS. Yeah. Well, and I love when they said, like, when uh, Freeman says, you know, at least you didn't fall for, or at least it wasn't a supernatural <laughs> being that you were claiming caused all of this. And they're like, oh, yeah, uh, no. <laughs> That's that pretty funny. Glorious painting of their computer overlord. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I mean, Agabus for me was written just perfectly like com- like a comic book villain, like where in, in you know, TOS, I feel like is just acceptably campy enough where you can have like Landru and these like evil computers be like comically evil. But nowadays you see that in Discovery, like we had that with control and we could barely put up with it. <laughs> but in Lord X, like an evil computer voiced by Jeffrey Combs, of course, that sounds great. It works yeah. great. <laughs> like that that's exactly what we need. <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess that's a good point. Is like we we can go back to some of those style of storytelling without, um, yeah, without it seeming out of place or just like, what, are you seriously like, what the hell? Why are we talking about this now? Why is this a plot line now? Yeah, yeah, it's like the 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 worst thing that could happen in the '60s. There will be a supercomputer who takes over 
the world <laughs> and manipulates us. <laughs> nope, uh, doesn't need to be a supercomputer, turns out. We can, <laughs> we'll can. we just uh, run ourselves into oblivion <laughs> yeah. without any of that. But uh, it's, it's, then, we, then we pop onto the Cerritos where Boimler and mariner are assigned to the same job after after we finally in star trek again deals with the fact why do you need a rifle if it's just shooting an energy beam uh you know what's the difference between a phaser rifle and a phaser you know they need two hands (laughs) or this one has two hands (laughs) yeah it just looks more badass in first contact like Mind your own business. Um, <laughs> well, because then you have a re- the captain has a reason to like take off their top layer and just let their gun show yeah. while they're like holding their phaser rifle and walking through. You know, I, I think especially of, um, I mean, yes, Captain Picard, but I also think of Captain Janeway and Voyager. You know, when she pulls out the big guns and <laughs> yeah, so she's, they, she's when it's that virus that's like yeah. <laughs> Attacking the macro the, virus. The macro virus <laughs> is attacking the ship, and she has to like shoot them. <laughs> um, uh. which was which was the Star Trek that had the incredibly phallic dildo rifles? Uh, was that First Contact's rifles that were like they had the like? Uh, the, you know what I'm talking about? Have you? All, are you all I don't, familiar? I don't, with I, 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 re- I recall the First Contact ones looking extremely badass, but uh, maybe. <laughs> Maybe I'm incorrect. <laughs> yeah, it's it's on the screen right now. Do you see what I'm looking at? Emily is laughing her head off right now. But it, it does appear to be ribbed for her pleasure. <laughs> I mean, it's it is like you know. So when you talk about the rifle, like uh, the captain pulling off their layers and like holding this thing, like it is the most phallic thing in Star Trek. I feel like other than that rock that Kirk holds that one time. Uh, Yeah. Sorry, yeah, I'm muted. I unfortunately actually typed in um, Star Trek dildo rifles, and that. <laughs> you got something different. No. I got something different. <laughs> I'm so sad you all didn't get to hear me when I was saying that. So I had a cold this week, so I'm sniffly, so I keep turning off my. Uh... <laughs> my sound so you all don't have to listen to me sniff but yeah don't look up star trek dildo rifles <laughs> or do as, as or your do. interests I, I, yeah. may guide you <laughs> we, we, we're not the boss of you <laughs> <laughs> oh my god and now on reddit apparently captain kirk preparing to use a dildo as a weapon in star trek i have no I mean, idea <laughs> classic scene kirk yep, holding yep. the pink uh, rock um well anyway get, getting back to star trek um Mariner gets Boimler reassigned and we find out later it's because she doesn't trust him and I want to come back to this when we talk about character development um, because it's I feel like it's again the show being somewhat self-aware this season and um, I like that yeah I I guess it does it it does feel like we're poking at the things that we've been talking about um, over the past several episodes of like that there's problems with this relationship and they are like, they're, they're either betraying each other and, and then they'll call, directly call that out in the next episode. So yeah, I, I, I agree that it seems like maybe this is opening a place for actually dealing with it and then taking the character somewhere. But maybe they need to still worry about um, 
sort of avoiding what what Bill was talking about in in Rick and Morty, which apparently is trying to deal with like a, a, a some sort of moral lessons or whatever for one of the episodes. So like m- maybe they there's like a fine line they need to tread, but um, I don't know. I I I think it's interesting to at least um, even if we're sort of in this episodic episode sort of format. Uh, we're still starting to reference like patterns that are happening throughout the throughout the series, and like have one one off instances come up later on. Absolutely, yeah. I think uh, in this episode, I thought it was very deftly done. The character moments felt very; they didn't intrude on the humor of the episode. They felt like they kind of fit, um, and they they didn't feel um, he- in too heavy. That they overshadowed the rest of the 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 stuff around them. Yeah, and and I guess we like even when we went into the sort of like the tragic feelings of like oh Rutherford is dead and like see how mm-hmm. how terrible uh, uh, Tendy feels like we, we didn't dwell on it too long because she finds out he's fine like uh, a couple minutes later and yeah. so um, yeah we're we're able to keep the sort of the the tone of the series in general without but but we still have a bit of like range that we can play around with but they still kind of linger with tendy tendy even after she finds out that he's okay there's still mm-hmm. a couple shots on her face where you're like yeah she's still she's still wrestling with the implications yeah. of what she was feeling you know like that mm-hmm. when that happened i was like she's definitely either recognize admitting to herself or recognizing that there's something deeper there about how she feels about Rutherford. At least that's how I felt that scene played. Absolutely. I think that's like spot on. Um, I, I sense that too. And I, I kind of like that they're not addressing it too deeply right now. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, with all these hints, you can bet there's going to be something by the end of the season, but like, I don't need this episode. Didn't need more than what we got there. Um, I freaking love the Hesperians. It's perfect addition to the lore. Like, of course, of course, a bunch of Renfair people went and, like, colonized a planet with dragons. Like, that is obviously what has happened. Like, <laughs> how has no one thought of this before? So they're supposed to be human, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like he, he, uh, Billups says that. He's like, it's a bunch of Renfair people who went and colonized a planet with dragons. That is literally yeah. what he says. <laughs> <laughs> and I, um, I like that they, they like make up magic words for uh, the, the like real technology that they have just so that it like fits into the Well, and like the, the little, lore. those little collar things with the spikes that are around all of the, um, well, I don't like the conduits oh, the, or whatever. The, the, <laughs> what, what he tried to call, what, what do you try to call them? The elf, uh, elf yeah. relays. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't call them like, that. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's just, uh, it's, it's. It's rare that something so absurd feels so natural and because of everything that we've again seen in other parts of Star Trek, it fits the lore perfectly. Like, yeah, you know, you got the Nazi planet, you got the like Greek god planet, you got the, the Renfair planet. Like <laughs> it's it's clearly a great addition to the lore. And and now I mean you you have permission to be a cosplayer at the Renfair. Like a Star Trek <laughs> cosplayer at the Renfair. It's like it is now a canon addition. Uh, it's fantastic. I, I mean, I can't, I can't wait to see the Hesperians again. I don't know. Maybe they'll ruin it. But like, I thought it was 
fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. <laughs> um, I also thought the art on this of the Hesperians, they're like the, the setting was very well done. Oh yeah, they they like they really went into that. Uh like mm. with all, all the all the paintings of yes. uh 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 Billups and his his family and whatnot. The uh, it, what what I also liked was he he talked about how like the preparation is like uh, just so you know like Hesperian culture is pretty distracting and like the, there's that dancer who's just yes. like constantly like fluttering doing around back and, yeah did backbends <laughs> just like randomly flitting around every scene. Uh, that's amazing. It is. It is. I. I. Uh, the my my personal favorite moment when the guy uses the mandolin to like disrupt the badges. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. By the way, did you all uh happen to see or happen to magnify the scene in which we get the Elkar's display of the um, of the Hesperian ship? Oh no. So, I mean, I noticed it, but I didn't pause on it or anything. Yeah. So it's um. It's pretty special because you should. It's the one where specifically the one where Tendi thinks that Rutherford is dead. Uh-huh. If 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 you magnify what is um, uh, what what the, what the display shows, you'll actually see that their warp core actually has a dragon's head uh- on it. <laughs> oh my god, that's awesome! <laughs> There's a, a level with full of horses. Uh, oh my gosh! A, and there's like a the dragon. A cargo bay with a dragon or something. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it is. It's fantastic. Uh, oh my the, gosh. Attention to detail in the art was very good. Uh, so, again, uh, great addition to the to the to the lore. Uh, Queen Paoloma, played by what was her name again? I just I just had a tip of my tongue, and I was like, I can reference this without reading it off. I was wrong. Julie. June Diane June, Raphael. That's right. Who plays uh who plays Paula Paulana and she is actually Paul Shear's wife in real life and Paul Shear plays Andy Billups. <laughs> and I believe Emily, you've seen June Diane Raphael and other stuff. Yeah, she's in uh Grace and Frankie. She's one of Grace's daughters. Or one she plays one of um oh Lord, I just forgot her name. Jane Fonda's daughters on Grace and Frankie. But um anyway. So that was just because I was look as she was talking, I'm like, I know that voice. Why do I know that voice? And it's because I just had a new season drop of Grace and Frankie. So I've been watching mm. her in another show. <laughs> so nice. anyway. Yeah. So um, she definitely it, it, has Waxana Troy vibes, though. Like I yeah. totally at first I thought that's who it was going to be. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah, it was I, I, I really did feel like it was kind of like that, you know, it had the same feel of oh mother like why are you here like it's you know exactly yeah. like troy um except loxana is the one wanting to get laid she's not wanting her daughter to get laid necessarily or like her focus is more on her yeah. own needs and if offended well, when the weddings like aren't fully naked or yeah. <laughs> things like that <laughs> so the, the the other contrast with that loxana uh with the paulana billups sequence is that Billups is the chief engineer and in TNG the chief engineer Jordy is constantly trying to get laid <laughs> whereas Billups is like extremely no. content to be a virgin forever uh, and but so, he loves his virginity <laughs> being an engineer 
<laughs> There's some deep cut engineering jokes over there that you yes. know are going to take MIT by storm uh, this week, but it's pretty great. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, I never expected to see Billups in a starring role in an episode, and this it was great. I mean, I yeah. really, really enjoyed Balchir's performance here. Mm-hmm. No, it was fun, definitely. Yeah, and and I, I like that we we're we're we get to delve into like the characters that we thought were just there to just be. Oh, wouldn't it be funny if there was a really dorky engineer as the chief engineer and we didn't care about him? But uh, yeah, I'm I'm glad that we actually get to dive into it. Do you also notice how the the engineering staff seems to be really into like chanting names all the time? Like anything yeah. happens in engineering, they're always like. Eh. <laughs> Rutherford, Rutherford, Rutherford. <laughs> um, on the topic of names, one other thing that was picked up on Reddit, which is that um, there's a running gag in the show of common human names being short for really oddball names, like Brad being short for Bradbird, Bradward, Sam being short for Samantha, and now Andy being short for Andorithio. <laughs> I missed that one. <laughs> Prince Andorithio. Uh, so... <laughs> Chief blacksmith of the Hesperian cruisers. Uh, anyway. We're going to have to come up with what our names would be. What our names are short for. <laughs> <Someone>. <laughs> well, um, let's take a break over here. We'll come back and discuss the Mariner-Boimler plot subplot and much, much more. Indicate this ship's engines are intact. This could be our ticket out of here. Plug me into that port. I can release the doors. Yeah, right. No, we'll try that ship over there. Why? Agnes can get us into this one. It's right here. He's right, Mariner. Come on, I can help. Oh my god, Boimler. Since the minute we crashed, he's been trying to get his danglies into a computer. No, uh uh, no, no way. I thought a maverick like you would do anything to get out of here. Anything that isn't stupid. Give him to me. Oh, this is exactly why I got you reassigned. You are just a naive little... <laughs> what are you doing? Get the hell off me! I'm sick of you bossing me around like you're better than me. You had no right to get me reassigned. Yes. <laughs> Stop! Don't make me do this. Oh, please. Like you would ever have the guts to... Ah! Uh... You had no choice. She lacked your vision. Now quick, to the ship! Welcome back to Strange New Takes, where we've been discussing some of the more regrettable ethnic planets in Star Trek. No need to belabor <laughs> the topic on the air, but uh, poor choices were made at times, um, and we don't talk about some of those episodes anymore, at least we try not to. <laughs> but uh, coming back to this one, in our pleasant fountains, um, Mariner <laughs> and Bradward end up cr- crash landing on a planet, which, first of all, the animation of the whole like accident and everything is so good. Yeah, and it, and it, it kind of made me think of like some of the uh, some of the scenes of like the destroyed uh, ships that are in uh, season three of of uh, Discovery. That uh, I, I, mm. I wonder if it, there's like some interesting ships to look at as we're as you're like going through the the landscape there. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, I was I I thought when they landed for sure that they were going to end up like meeting some other crew. Um mm-hmm. and, and I think I mean I don't think that's a missed opportunity at all. I think it was I think like I said I thought this episode was very tight, so I don't want to like be like, 
oh, I'm, it was a missed opportunity. It's, yeah. it, but it was just, that's where my mind went. It's like, oh, they're mm-hmm. going to like get attacked by somebody. And that's not what happened. Um, I appreciated, as I was saying before, that this plot essentially used Mariner underestimating Boimler as its core driver of momentum. The the I mean, we've talked in the previous few episodes about how Bradward is smarter and he's got his shit together. And mm-hmm. he uses both Agamus's um, manipulation and Mariner's lack of confidence to get them help. Yeah, and that's... That wasn't interesting because I was starting to get a little bit frustrated with with him in the in the episode. I, I mean, I know that that's sort of the purpose, uh, but yeah, I, I I think that this this is definitely like fitting into that that theme of like he's a he's much more capable than we than we sort of like joke around or assume that he is. Um, and, well, and he was showing that last week too. Yeah, um, yeah, or not last week? Two weeks ago, I wasn't. Or wait, or was it last week? I mean, se- several no. episodes this season. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. he's been doing yeah. that. Like even even on the Titan, when when like he's he's in over his head the whole time. Like he saves the uh, the rest of the crew that he's that he's with, and mm-hmm. then uh, also escapes on the planet and accidentally got himself cloned. But well, and you know they actually have that happening in the pr- first season too. Mm-hmm. They just make him. He's more lampooned though. Like he's just more ridiculous in the first season, I think. Mm-hmm. But. Um, but he's definitely they definitely show that he's a really capable, knowledgeable um, uh, officer, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. And I I appreciated also that he wasn't like he was he had enough self-confidence that he wasn't like, hey, Mariner, we're going to like hatch this plan. No, he was just like, I got to like do this. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and, and and actually, there was a um, <laughs> like a, as as the crash was happening, I had the thought like because we've been talking about it so many episodes previously, of how uh, whenever you have you're like on an away mission with uh, Mariner, Mariner's gonna screw it up for some reason because like of of being fun or whatever. But I'm like, oh, this is not Mariner screwing up <laughs> the episode. Like they they'd hit a gravimetric shear and it was just gonna happen, and like we didn't didn't need to have that be like part of the plot line or whatever. That's true. Oh she God. didn't. She really wasn't wasn't the screwball in this episode. Mm-hmm. Like that's not how they had her character play. But see, here's the thing. Oh, Notch, were you gonna say something? I was just gonna share my gratitude that it wasn't Mariner oh. who got them into the mess. Right, right. But you know, I so I found myself trying to decide if Mariner really does underestimate Boimler or if there's something else that's happening. Like, cause you know, so they show that scene where she talks, um, uh, what's his face into not sending Boimler on the away mission that he wants to go on with those, whatever. I can't remember, but, um, Oh, ransom. Thank you. But is she, so, so that's what she tells ransom. Like, Oh, he's not ready. He shouldn't, he, you know, he's not, he wouldn't be able to handle it. I don't, I don't think you should put him on that mission have him do this thing with me. But I wasn't really convinced that that's real, that she really thought he wasn't ready. I think she just wants him to be with her. Like, Mm. so that, that I was kind of trying to decide, you know, which which was it? Is it really that she's underestimating him and thinks he doesn't ready for these different missions? Or does she just want to be with him all the time and she just wants him to be doing the stuff because, yeah. you know, she enjoys, you know, having yeah, adventures I, with I, him? I, I, I kind of think that it, it it's it's that, yeah, that she she wants 
Like, she doesn't want to lose her friends. Like, she she wants to uh, be Lower Decks because she does not enjoy being, like, a senior member of the crew. Like, when she got promoted, that was, like, the worst thing that ever happened to her. And she wants to... Um, yeah, it, like, if she... I mean, unfortunately, yeah, maybe it's bad to be friends with Mariner because she she might be willing to hold you back a little bit if she thinks that that's like mm-hmm. the best way to keep you around. Yeah, I, I I think maybe it's I felt it was a little bit more human than that, which is just that I think she sees herself as his mentor and he left her control for a little bit and he grew in ways that she didn't expect. And mm-hmm. she really wants him to be the old Boimler who not once as in like is like intending for him to remain that way but more just sees him as this kind of like person who needs her help and he's not that guy anymore he's grown and he's mm-hmm. in his study abroad <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is great you know um he's he's become someone who can take names he's seen the other side and become a, a, a kick-ass buddy so this will hopefully what I'm hoping happens is that the show goes from being the Mariner helping everybody else show to the Mariner and Boimler are kick-ass pals and mm-hmm. Dendi and Rutherford are, you know, also competent. And and so they're four equally competent individuals kicking ass and taking names together. Mm-hmm. So there isn't any more like Mariner ruins everything because mm-hmm. she's smarter yeah. than you and uh, and that kind well, of stuff. Well, and, and I and I think that those are things that we can, like, those can be subtle changes throughout the seasons of this show, which who, who knows how long it's supposed to, or that it'll end up, like, running. But uh, I, I can see that being, like, a distinct way of having season one is different than season two and season three is different than the previous two. Because, like, maybe next season we don't have to have the storyline so much about, like, maybe these people are competent and, like, there's, like, a secret thing, but, like the next season is like they actually are and and we we can take things from there and i'm sure that there's still hilarious shit that can happen regardless yeah absolutely well um i got to give credit to jeffrey combs that was a great freaking performance as the as the computer <laughs> and he was written just campy enough but also just manipulative enough that you could both laugh but also be a little bit scared of what he is capable of uh-huh. <laughs> oh yeah i it, it he's and, the best and i guess it, it it also like he he was good at at making us like question our like the starfleet ethics of like wait we really have to like bring him we have to like respect him enough to not just like leave him to die on the planet or whatever like mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're going to extreme danger in order to make sure that he like is put into his little uh safety box or whatever in the daystream institute yeah i i I think the only part of this episode that was kind of kind of like a convenient MacGuffin was those crabs, but I enjoyed it because I think it, it moved the plot in exactly the right direction. It put some yeah. distance between Boimler and Mariner, let him see the, the sequence, and then led to the, the, the shot of Boimler shooting Mariner, which was, I thought, very poignantly done. Like, you really just mm-hmm. were, like, shocked, and then you saw, like, this Mariner on the plate on the ground. You were just like, what? What? Oh, my yeah. God, I can't believe this. Um, so again, I think they very deftly put in just enough seriousness where you were, where you were kind of on the edge of your seat, but you mm-hmm. weren't, there wasn't like a sad trombone or not a sad trombone. That would be funny. <laughs> uh, a, 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 a plaintive oboe. That's, that's what the West Wing Weekly calls the West Wing yeah. sad scenes. 
there's always a plaintive oboe playing in the background to yes. tell you how to feel. Um, there wasn't a plaintive oboe playing. That, you know, Mar- Boimler wasn't like, I'm so sorry, my friend. And like, you know, spending five minutes like regretting his decision. Nope, we just moved on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, I, and it was a good way for us to not... Like that put us into Mariner's mindset of like, oh, he's he's like off the deep end. He's gonna like attach attach this computer to uh, a network system, and like that's gonna further screw things up. And uh, yeah, I I thought that was a good way to to keep us uh, from guessing like what his true motives were. Yeah, for sure. Um, mm. I also enjoyed the tiny little bits of. Um, not lore, but like the the stuff that they do in the background, like that that captain, dead captain, sitting in the command yeah. chair of the derelict mm. ship. <clears throat> we never really find out what that is, but I I, I like that the, the show gives us just enough to be curious. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, there's I, I mean, not that 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 they wouldn't necessarily have done that in a, a in a full episode or whatever, but there's like. I feel like there's a lot that they can do with like creative environments and like different ship designs or whatever that are probably less, which um, maybe I can't even say this. Like, I don't even, I don't know if it's less expensive to like draw a different bridge than it is to build one, but I feel like it has to be. Uh, And it's um, a, yeah, I, I, I like the sort of the creativity that we get to put into things on this show. Yeah. The, a final shot is of the supercomputer storage. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's kind of reminiscent of the whole uh, the 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 lost ark being wheeled into the warehouse that's full of uh, crates. I got that vibe from it. Do you all know what I'm talking about? Mm. Indiana Jones mm-hmm. and, and the, the Indiana Jones and the Lost Ark ends with the Lost Ark being put into a box and that box you you start with a very tight angle of this box being wheeled by somebody down a warehouse floor and then it zooms out to where you see the warehouse filled with similar looking boxes and the lost ark is just going to be one artifact among thousands of similar artifacts and yeah i i think we need to philosophically understand why the why uh, exist sentient life and biological existence creates evil supercomputers because this seems to be like happening in many different societies <laughs> to the point where they're all storing them in a room i mean this is why the reapers come to cleanse us every fifty thousand years so <laughs> That's pretty great. That was very good. I was not expecting Mass Effect right there. Um, <laughs> felt, felt like you were just setting me up there. So, <laughs> the one, Did you notice that one of the supercomputers has a CBS logo on it? <laughs> I did. I love that. Um, well, let's let's take a quick moment to to have a few character development notes. I think Mariner got a dose of um, reality this episode, and I enjoyed that. I, mm-hmm. I look forward to seeing where we go with that. Mm-hmm. I also found out she hates licorice. <laughs> I do too. Gosh, well, black licorice, I hate. Yuck. Oh, and I I liked that it 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 would uh, like how it would describe it like black licorice black. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, the, I, I just didn't i mean the, the fruit tastes like licorice yes <laughs> uh, everything tastes like black licorice oh it's great i 
I, I don't know. I might not have been strong enough to resist hooking up uh, agonist to the computer to give me some water. I think I would have. I think I would have just mm. done it. But um, especially to get rid of the black licorice taste. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Well, we, we've talked about Boimler already quite a bit, so let's let's jump over mm-hmm. to Rutherford, where I think again we just get to see the dueling impulses of Rutherford between his comfort zone and his excitement for new engineering challenges. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that, I thought I thought that that was also uh, fun because we got to pit Tendy into like wanting to help help him push his boundaries, and then like regretting. Uh, like doing that late later on in the episode, and I I thought that that was but then a good him way thanking to, her for it. Yeah, yeah, I I thought it was a good way to to explore that a bit. Mm-hmm. And he also, I mean, at the end is shows gratitude for the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I think that's one of the prototypical pieces of him is he's always excited, he's always like happy to help, and but he also. He he's always excited to learn, mm-hmm. uh, and grow, which I I like, uh, enjoy very much. I don't have too many other character notes. Maybe a quick discussion about Billups. If you'll have anything to say about Prince and Rithio. <laughs> I mean, mostly I I just I, and I mean it's it's such an obvious joke to make, but it, like that this episode was just like okay, let's just get all the virginity jokes out of there, and like it, it they were it it was all pretty hilarious, and I I especially loved the um how uh we we have to have him keep saying like super awkward things of like my mom keeps trying to get me to have sex or whatever, and the the um the guard that is uh uh is always like making eyes at him uh, as he's he's walking around <laughs> he says we'll have to just run a full full diagnostic from the bottom up she just says you can run a full diagnostic a diagnostic along my bottom up my leash <laughs> trained from uh, birth to, know- to skip foreplay <laughs> I do yeah. I do find it interesting that this show did not come with also a warning for like it had a, a label for violence but not for sex and I feel like it should have had both. Well, I mean the the Mugatu Gubatu like uh that like that's the bar for where you write sex uh on the yeah, episode but, so but we saw we saw a naked butt and we saw him taking, we saw them all taking their clothes off and in their, you know, BDSM kind of outfits. <laughs> and we saw, and we also saw Billups trying to get, you know, his, yeah, there, uh, there was definitely, I don't know, man to that, attention. So, <laughs> yeah, it, there has not been a trying to get it up scene uh, in Star Trek yeah. before, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. Had we seen a naked butt in Star Trek before? I was trying I, to I think so. I mean, so. you would think we would have one, have seen one in I, Enterprise. I think that we, I think that Probably we might have discovered no, but I though. think I think in uh, Voyager, I th- I feel like there were there were maybe a, a couple scenes of like either Chakotay or something like that. Like I, I have I have memories of like someone. But in... he was wearing flesh colored underwear. Nope. Chakotay or or oh, okay. um, uh, Robert Beltran was. I mean, yeah, but, I'm I mean, sure like, that's what, how it is most underwear. of the time. But yeah, that, that's at least the. <laughs> That there was the illusion that that was something that was happening uh, in an episode. We have before. seen Klingon boobs before, so you know oh, that's yeah, a discovery. We discovery. Well, we're talking about no, old school Star discovery. Trek, and I'm going to remind y'all uh, that this Uh-oh, scene happened where 
Tapal, we're, we're seeing her from the back and she drops whatever she's wearing and we get a little hint of butt. And I remember that being uh, massively scandalous at the time. Yeah. And this was part of, yeah. I mean, it was not like part of the show. It was just kind of jammed in there because UPN wanted yeah. to appeal to uh, 15-year-old boys and... Um, Made me mad. Uh, uh, I also, I, I just want to have this included for posterity in the podcast. The the Google search for that was to Paul Butt. <laughs> what else? I mean, it is an iconic like, occurrence in Star Trek. Like, it is it is like a thing that happened that like had people talking because it was, I think, I'm pretty sure actually it was the first nudity in Star Trek ever. Like, actual uh, nudity. Mm rather than, like, hyper-suggestive, you know, nipples. Or well, whatever. we've had lots of side boobs starting in uh, the original series, so... Yeah, true, true, true. The proud I, bet, I bet there's... You know what? Now I just want to see if there's a nudity in Star Trek uh, Memory Alpha article. Because, I, I mean, there has to be. Between Exorcistia and Memory Alpha, I, I cannot imagine that there isn't one of those. Um, yep, nudity. There we go. Uh, Christopher Reeve is like the Google image today. That's so random. Nudity refers to the state of not wearing any clothes. Why, thank you, Memory Alpha. That's I nice. love how they just <laughs> define everything. Turns out there was a nude model in some episode of Star, uh, Art, uh, Star Trek that had an art class. Uh, I don't know where it's from, but... Uh, well, th- there was a, um, uh, at least it was suggested that Seven of Nine was nude uh, for the doctor to paint oh, her yeah, cute. when he was uh, going uh, crazy a bit, I think. Tinker Taylor, oh, yeah, Dr. Spy, is when he when he did that. Um, mm. Yeah, so it looks like the original series episode's Patterns of Force marks the only time in any Star Trek series of film that Spock actor Leonard Nimoy is seen on camera without a shirt. Terrific trivia here from uh, Memory Alpha. <laughs> uh, and here's a better shot of that uh, Tapal scene on this uh, Memory Alpha page. There's the oh, discovery. Yeah, they actually have the butt there, everybody. Yeah, there's just a lot of oh, nudity a on this page. Chest? Yeah. Uh, Good here, lord, here they go. have a. Oh, it was an alternate scene with Lita. I was like, whoa, that is some Lita boob right there for sure. Yeah. Oh wow! So, uh, yeah, look at this nudity. Oh, yep, for, the the Klingon boobs. For for those of you who 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 need your uh, fix, you can go to nudity on Memory Alpha and um, check it out if you want. Oh my gosh! Um, <clears throat> well, anyway, um, we've talked about a bunch of the stuff with the expansion of the world of tracks. You know, we talked about the phase of rifles. We talked about the Hesperians. We talked about uh, uh, a- Adamus, Agamus, I forget now. Agamus. 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 That's Agamus. right. A- a- Adamus is what my name is uh, short for. <laughs> Adamitius. You got to add some <laughs> syllables in there, man. God, uh, my mine's you know short for it's like notch, right? So notch on the bedpost. Uh, anyway. Keeping with the theme. Um, <laughs> seriously, I had a partner make that joke to me, and I was like, "What? Do you, wh- how do you respect me? Like what? <laughs> like I don't understand." Uh, and that's when I learned accents are different, and because I don't consider I say my name differently than y'all do, and I it, so that rhyme never occurred to me, and but mm. but it did. So I because I say notch. Right? Like notch is the way I pronounce notch. You don't say notch on the bedpost, and I, I don't do that. You see. See, you just said notch differently than I say notch. 
Yeah, because I was, I was exaggerating. I don't feel yeah. like I say, nah. <laughs> yeah. You like turned it into like a major northern accent kind of match. <laughs> I mean, that's where he lives, so. <laughs> I know. I was going to say, we don't talk like that down here. <laughs> no, yeah, we are uh, definitely an oh yeah, you betcha land over here in Minnesota. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> you got your flag flying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got a bag. <laughs> Big of dragons. We had a we had we, <laughs> a bag of dragons. We had, we had a friend from Wisconsin who was in college with Drink us, out of a and we ha- we used to have him say "bag of dragons" every time we needed a quick laugh because it was pretty great. <laughs> bagels, and then the the, the fun the fun time was when the guy who said bagels was matched up with the lady who said bagels, and we had them argue about it for about a half hour. That was I have a friend that used to say bagels. Yeah, like bagels. I was like bagels. I always like some of the city names are fun to say with a northern accent, like Peshtigal. You know, you got to go to Peshtigal. <laughs> I despise the Minnesotan town of name of New Prague. It's freaking New Prague, okay? It's not Prague. Just stop it. Everyone's lost their damn minds, all right? Oh, that's like, oh, we have a Nevada, Missouri. No! So like Nevada? That's what the same Come on. There's Monad and, yeah, yeah. Why? Yeah. Why? Why are we going to do this? Also... Wisconsin has Nicolet High School. Minneapolis has Nicolet Avenue. Just everybody doing their own thing. Man, it sucks. All right. Well, well, returning, returning to Star Trek. Um, it's time for some strange new ratings, which if you would like to stick your necks out and give Where Pleasant Fountains Lie a rating. Uh, hmm. I, I, so I, when I started out, I had rated this one as a seven, and my, my part of my criticism was that it, it, the throwaway computer thing that I, I had brought up earlier in the episode. But since I'm wrong about that, and I've also <laughs> decided that I don't do half measures, I think I have to rate it an eight. Uh, okay. So uh, that, yeah, I, it, it was, it was great. It had, had, had lots of funny, funny jokes about Billups and, uh, and. That's that's all I ask from uh, uh, Lower Decks. Yeah, I was going to give it a four out of five um, because I super appreciate that we didn't have Mariner just screwing everything up. That yeah. was I think that might have been one of my favorite parts of the episode just because mm-hmm. I got I get tired of that. I get tired of let's, you know, run through everything with a, you know, a scooter or whatever, you know, like yeah. it just caused chaos wherever we go. I, I was getting a little weary of that. So it was nice that this episode wasn't like one chaotic thing after another. I will, for very similar reasons, give it a 10 out of 10. I thought this was a extraordinarily enjoyable episode of Star Trek. It developed our characters very well. I loved all of the additions to the lore, as I've said many times. And so I just, I, I really couldn't find a weakness. I was like, why would I not rate this a perfect score? Like, what what was wrong with this in my mind? Mm. And I couldn't come up with a thing, which is extremely rare for me. Because um, <laughs> I'm a very critical person, so I can, like, come up with stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I could definitely be one of those people who has a, a, a hate new track kind of YouTube channel where I'm like, let me tell you everything I despised about this week's episode. Oh my God, JJ Abrams is ruining everything. Why am I still watching this stuff? Oh yeah, because my YouTube revenue is awesome. Let me hate on it some more and make the dollars. But I don't do that because I love life and happiness and making other people happy. Are you happy, listener? Are you happy? Are you really happy? 
Don't answer that. I hope so. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> um, well, with that, thank you, Emily. Thank you, Adam. I do appreciate y'all coming over and talking Star Trek. This is the best part of my week so far. I have enjoyed this last hour immensely. Yeah, thank, thank you, you Notch, Notch, for bringing us here. Of course. Natch. <laughs> I'm going to call you Natch from now you gotta on. You got to do it. You got to do it. Uh, thank you, Bill. Thank you, Rudy. Thank you, Dinah and Max, uh, for being our other regular co-hosts. Uh, Rudy, I hope your internet's back by the time you listen to this. Um, thank you, dear listener, for making time for us uh, every week. We always appreciate that you add us to your podcast schedule. And thank you, Jishnu Guha, for recording our theme music. And, um, you know, at, at the end here, I think we really just have to take a quick second and thank the good people of the Agamus planet for realizing that they were worshipping an evil supercomputer and stopping their hundred years war. Like, that, that's a lesson for all of us, I think. So, we should we should just, you know, take a second. Are you worshipping an evil supercomputer? If you are, you might want to stop. So, alright everyone, we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.